Facing some problems today and wondering where to turn? Pastor Ed Taylor says, take it to Jesus. Haven't you found it to be true in the issues of your life, the things that you've come through, the things that you've persevered, that God seems to bring to you people that have a similar story, a similar background? So you wrestle with X, Y, and Z, and then all of a sudden you're surrounded with people that are currently struggling with X, Y, and Z. And why is it that they come to you? But that there is an understanding, there is a camaraderie, there is an agreement, or you might even use the phrase, I know how you feel because you've experienced the same thing. And and it's great to be used in that way. But let me just say, experience will not solve anyone's problems. Only Jesus Christ and His wisdom will solve the issues that you're in. This is amazing grace. This is Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. Thanks for hanging out with us. The plan today is to cover Hebrews chapter 2 and verses 10 through 18. Now, before we go there, Pastor Ed is with me in the studio. Ed, you're about to show us the freedom that is available to us in Christ. With that said, many today are running to the wrong people, places, or things in an attempt to be set free. Would you address that? And why won't that deliver? Wow, Larry, that, that's a heavy... That's a heavy thing to consider that when we run, we have choices of where to run. And of course, it's metaphoric, right? We're not running physically, but we are responding to a situation, responding to a difficulty, responding to a challenge, and we're heading off in a direction. What's that direction? Are we going to choose the wrong people, the people that might make things worse for you? For example, If you are wrestling with a situation in your family, you don't want to surround yourself with people that will just, well, you know, they're idiots and they're horrible and you're right. You have the worst family in the world. What you need is somebody to pray with you and encourage you and strengthen you and help you get through this difficult family situation. Or maybe you're worried right now. You don't want to run to the wrong place, to the bar. You don't want to run to a place that will now make things worse as you come under the influence. Uh, You want to run to the right people, run to the right place, and attempt to run to the right things to enjoy your freedom. It's amazing. Uh, You could go through deep pain, and in your desire to get out of your pain, you go to the bottle. Or in many of the states, like here in Colorado, you buy legal marijuana and you're just going to get high because it will set you free. But you know as well as I do, those of you that have gone down that sinful road, or maybe this is a word of warning, that that doesn't help. It doesn't help. It's not going to set you free. It's actually going to put you into bondage. You want to have the right people that will point you to the Lord and encourage you. You want to be in the right places that will keep your mind fixed on the Lord, and you want to have the right things that will overwhelm you with a sense of God's love, His mercy, 
and his grace because you are set free. You're already free. Even if you feel constricted, you can enjoy that freedom you have in Jesus Christ. And I want you to do that. I want you to enjoy that freedom. Thanks for those words, Pastor Ed. And now let's dive into our study called We Are Set Free by Jesus. You open your Bibles to two places today, Hebrews chapter 2 and Psalm 22. Hebrews chapter 2 and Psalm 22. As we finish up our chapter here in in, uh, the second chapter of Hebrews, in a Bible study that I've entitled, We Are Set Free by Jesus. There's a freedom available to us in Jesus that is ours by faith, that we no longer have to live, as we even sang today, in bondage, that we are no longer needing to live in fear, but rather in faith in the Lord. Now, we know it's not hard to see today that man is not exercising spiritual dominion over creation. Now, the word dominion, don't let it scare you. It literally means authority. Man isn't living in absolute authority over creation today. No, all you need to do is look at the animal kingdom and look at the news, you know, the sea creatures, every area of creation. Man is not in dominion. Truth be told, man has a hard time controlling himself sometimes, let alone creation. Remember in verse 8, as we left off last time, in verse 8 it says, You have put all things in subjection under his feet, for in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that's not put under him. And then he says, but now we do not yet see all things put under him. And we learned why. Originally in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, they were given absolute complete dominion. And they forfeited that through sin. And we inherited and cooperated with that forfeiture by our own sin. And so today, the devil, Satan himself, has dominion over so much in this present world. And then in the discouragement, though, the author says in verse 9, but we see Jesus. And that's the key, isn't it? We see Jesus, God's answer to men's problems, God's answer to humanity's issues. Not problems as much as it is one problem, the problem of sin, which leads to separation. And the wages of that sin is always death. Jesus Christ came in human flesh, we learn, to deal with the greatest need of man, the forgiveness of sins. He became a man so that he would suffer and die. Notice in verse 9, we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. Away with that teaching today that says that Jesus Christ only died for a small group of people and predestined, it's the idea of predestination. He only predestined some people for salvation and he predestined with no opportunity all the rest to hell. That's simply not in the Bible. Predestination is a doctrine that God knows in advance what he's going to do, but this idea that he predestined people to go to hell with no chance, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that he tasted death for who? Everyone. It's potentially for everyone. Oh, it's true. Verse 10, not everyone believes, for it's fitting for him whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory. Not every, 
but many, which is also the doctrine of universalism, which is not from the Lord. Universalism that everybody, doesn't matter how, what you believe, and doesn't matter what you do in life, everybody's going to make it. Not true. There is no other name under heaven by which man must be saved, but the name of Jesus Christ. Everyone's not going to make it, unfortunately, by their own choice. God is not going to be held responsible for your choices. You and I are personally responsible for the choices that we make. Notice, he brings many sons to glory, verse 10, to make the author of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Now, I want you to mark a couple words. Back in verse 9, I want you to circle the word taste and write next to it cupbearer because it comes to us and, it, and begins to bring to mind in, uh, the cupbearer because in ancient days, the cupbearer would be the first one to take a full taste of whatever the king would eat or drink. Not a little sip, not a little crumb, but the cupbearer. Now, the, one of the most famous cupbearers that we learn of in the Bible, his name was Nehemiah. Nehemiah, don't think of cupbearer as just simply a taster, but rather he was often one of the, if not the most trusted man in all of the kingdom. Because his responsibility would be to take anything that was going to be eaten or drank by the king and take a full, complete taste of it, a full, complete bite, or a full, complete portion of what was then going to be given. And so he would taste it and he would drink and everyone would watch. And what were they watching for? Well, whether he would drop dead if somebody wanted to go after the king. But notice this word is used to, to exemplify what Jesus Christ did for you and me. He fully tasted death for you and for me. He took it completely. He tasted it, received it in its fullness for you and me first, so that as we look to him, he's the source of life, peace, and rest. So many are restless today. You might even walked in here today restless of all the responsibilities you have in your life. You're running to and fro with all your kids, all your house responsibilities. You have work, you have ailing parents, you've got car issues and house issues, and you're so restless. It's in those times as well that we need to see Jesus and remember what he's done for us and receive it by faith and trust him. He said, if you're weary today, and you're carrying around these heavy weights and burdens. Come unto me, Jesus said, and I'll give you rest. Like a true settled peace. We often interpret that as if every issue is going to be solved in our life, but that's not it at all. It's not that every issue is going to go away because in this world you what? will have trials, you have troubles. But yet God will give you and I the strength to persevere and to make it through in the moment. And and to do so in such a way where there's true rest and trust that God, I was just reminded today as I was doing my devos early this morning, that God indeed will work all things together. He is working all things together for the good. There isn't one radical crazy thing that hasn't first passed from God through God to you that also he's working together. And in order for him to work together things, some things just have to be not well-liked or well-received. We see Jesus. He's the answer. He tasted death for you. How much more will he go before you and me? 
Notice, I want you to mark in verse 10 now the word author, because in some translations, this Greek word is translated captain. Jesus now becomes our captain in the stormy seas of life. When we don't know which direction to go, we look to the captain. It literally means, you can circle it, it literally means first above all others. It's used again in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, when we get there. It's translated author there as well. And also in Acts chapter 5, verse 31, it's translated prince. Now, our captain, it says, needed to be made perfect. He needed to be made perfect. And so people will come to him and go, wait a minute, I thought Jesus Christ was perfect. Listen, Jesus was and is, and still to this moment, is perfect. But the fact that he suffered like a human, like us, makes him the perfect captain for us. He can relate to you. He's not some distant deity that was invented in the mind of man, but he is God the creator, as we've learned, greater than the angels who can relate to you. You know, jot it down in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I'll paraphrase for you. It says that God is the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulations, so that we might be able then to comfort others in all that they're going through. And haven't you found it to be true in the issues of your life, the things that you've come through, the things that you've persevered, that God seems to bring to you people that have a similar story, a similar background. So you wrestle with X, Y, and Z, and then all of a sudden you're surrounded with people that are currently struggling with X, Y, and Z. And why is it that they come to you? But that there is an understanding, there is a camaraderie, there is an agreement, or you might even use the phrase, I know how you feel because you've experienced the same thing. And, and it's great to be used in that way. But let me just say, experience will not solve anyone's problems. Only Jesus Christ and his wisdom will solve the issues that you're in. And so you might be seeking out, you know, that you might be going through a particular thing and you're like, you know, you call the office and you say, I, I want to uh, I, I talk to somebody that's gone through this. And then we kind of look at who's in the office that day. Well, you know, no, there's nobody here that's ever gone through that. But if you just come in, they'll talk to you. The pastor will minister. You know, you don't understand. I've got, you know, for example, maybe uh, it's, an, it's, a, it's a past of addiction like you. And so you call the office. I got to speak to Ed. I got to speak to Pastor Ed. Because he went through exactly what I went through. Or my son's going through what he did. And I got to speak to him. And they're like, well, Pastor Ed's not in today. Uh, let me give it to another pastor. No, no, no. He's experienced exactly what. Listen, listen. My experience is not your solution. It might help, it might not help. Only the Word of God is going to help the situation in your life. Now, my experience may or may not be able to help me relate, but experience doesn't solve any problem. As a matter of fact, sometimes our experiences get in the way of giving good counsel because you get so caught up in the situation and you begin to give your opinion instead of what God's Word says. And every single pastor, every single lay leader, every single man woman here that is filled with the Holy Spirit should be able to open up the Bible with you and pray with you so that what? You get to the point where you see Jesus. That's the key. Not, not just like physically seeing him, but really understand what the Bible says as he revealed himself in your life and what the solution is. Don't allow, just because there's a connection with others, experience to think that's going to be your solution. It's not. But superseding our own experience, the Bible says that Jesus, because of what he tasted, 
he is able in complete fullness to be the captain of your life, to be the head of your life, to be the perfect savior. And notice in verse 11, he says, for both he who sanctifies and those being sanctified are all one, of which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing praise to you. And again, verse 13, I will put my trust in him. And again, here I am and the children whom God has given me. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had power of death, and that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. I love this. The Bible says in verse 11 that Jesus Christ is not ashamed to call you his brother and his sister. He's not ashamed of you. This is a humbling thought for a moment because I have to think about in my own life and I would invite you to think with me of how many times I've been ashamed of Jesus. How many times I've been ashamed to speak up. Or how about this? To think about how many times I've been overcome with my own shame, shame over my own sin where I've just been heaped on myself loads of condemnation because of my own failures. Or think about this, how many times I've believed the accusations of the devil, where he comes because the Bible says that the devil's the, accus the accuser of the brethren, and I just believe him, and I buy into his lies. But Jesus is not ashamed to call you. Yeah, you in your, imperfect, in your imperfect life, in your life fraught with failures, in your life filled with stumbling, he's not ashamed to call you or me his brother or sister. He's united to us, and we're united to him. It says in verse 11, we're all of one. There's a unity among us in the Spirit of God. And it's not because of any work or any effort that we've done, but fully because of his grace. And how does he prove it? He, he uses Psalm 22 in verse 12. He uses Psalm 22 to, to prove it. And he says, I'm going to declare your name to my brethren, and in the midst of the congregation, I'll sing praise to you. And that is applied now to that lack of shame in Jesus Christ. But I want to pull back for a second and really examine Psalm 22, because it's very encouraging. Would you go back to Psalm 22 and pick up in verse 22? Because we learn something here that's so encouraging to us that we can't miss it. Because I have to say, church attendance has become a very habitual, repetitive act on our part at times, where, you know, we just go to church, and it's for some, and maybe you go in through different seasons, and, and maybe you're listening in from afar right now, and you're not even here, and that's why you're not here, because it's just like, well, you know, it's the same thing. What are we going to do at church? What's going to happen at church? Well, we're pretty much going to do the same thing. We're going to pray. We're going to sing. Uh, you know, if we have a prayer, we're going to do a baby dedication, Brad. We might read a psalm. We're going to study the Bible. Then we're going to go home. That's pretty much what we do. And when you become so familiar with something, familiarity often breeds contempt. And we take for granted this gathering. But did you know that God has given us the gathering together like we are right now as a gift? We need this. We need to get out of what we're going through, what we're, you know, we need to get out of the house. We need to get out of routine. We need to get away from work. And we should, we must gather together with the saints. And one of the reasons is so that we'll sing together. 
Let me show you something. Psalm 22, verse 22. The psalmist says, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him and fear him. All you offspring of Israel. He's not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him, he heard, verse 25, my praise shall be of you in the great congregation, and I will pay my vows before those who fear him. This time that we set aside for singing is so important. Even if you don't participate, just say, you know, you might be in that place where I don't sing, or I don't sing very well, or I don't like my voice, whatever it might be, just being in the company of other people singing to Jesus will bless you and will encourage you. One of the reasons we come together now, we, we use the word worship, and, and it has become kind of narrowed down uh, over the years where it just reflects the time of singing. And I'm not opposed to that. I get it. But worship encompasses everything about your life. Everything about your life. You and I are either worshiping God or we're not worshiping God. Whether it's at work, whether it's driving, whether it's, you know, whatever it might be we're involved in, it's either an act of worship or it's not an act of worship unto God. The, the word worship just literally means ascribing respect or honor to someone or to something. I'm sure you've heard the phrase, oh, you know, that guy, he worships money. Or she worships her kids or he worships his career. And you know what's being said, that that's their primary purpose in life. That, that's what they're into. Before God even comes into the picture, you know, they are, when you're using that word, you're using it to describe the value they place on something over and above everything else. But in Hebrews chapter 2, Psalm 22, this phrase, I'm going to sing praise to you in the corporate worship times. Times like right now where we gather together to sing and to worship in song, you need to be together singing to Jesus. You need to learn to sing songs to Jesus. You need to learn to release yourself in song in this time of, you know, songs have been a part of worshiping God way back. I think probably in the Garden of Eden, the Bible doesn't really say this, but I bet you they were whistling a tune unto Jesus, unto the Father, enjoying sweet communal fellowship with God in the cool of the day, the Bible says. They were enjoying the, some kind of worship of God, some type of relationship with Him so that they could even raise their kids. We're not told how this happened, but they could even raise their kids to learn how to worship properly in their sacrifices and how not to. That's what happened with Cain and Abel. And so some kind of instruction, some kind of worship was happening even in the times of Adam and Eve and with their kids. When we come together to worship God as a church, our minds are united on and in Jesus Christ. The shame of our guilt and sin is taken away by the blood of Jesus. He is the focus. He is the object of our worship. We've been in the book of Hebrews today on Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor is leading us verse by verse through the epistle. Would you like to hear today's message again? You can listen online 24-7 at AboundingGraceRadio.com or hear us through Apple Podcasts. Another way to go is to download our church app and Grace FM Colorado app. 
do a search for Calvary Aurora. You'll find Abounding Grace right there, as well as many other helpful resources. Where in the world did that come from? Maybe that's crossed your mind when you've had a nasty thought. And sometimes our thoughts are out of control along with our lives. But I'm happy to say there is a way to win the war in your mind. Craig Groeschel lays out the strategy in his book, Winning the War in Your Mind. Drawing from scripture and the latest findings of brain science, Craig presents practical strategies that will help free you from the grip of harmful and destructive thinking and go on to live the life God intends for you to live. Request a copy today when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more by calling 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. We can't thank you enough for your support. God is doing a wonderful work through the radio and Internet these days, and you can be a part of it. Call toll-free at 877-30-GRACE or go online to AboundingGraceRadio.com. And please set aside another half hour to join us tomorrow for Abounding Grace when Pastor Ed Taylor digs deeper into the book of Hebrews to mine its treasures. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.